You're listening to the Niners Bros, your home for post-game analysis, correcting media narratives, and keeping you up to date on all things San Francisco 49ers. What's up, guys? I'm Michael Ditchfield. And I'm David Ditchfield, and we are the Niners Bros. Ho, 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 eight in a row. Merry Christmas, 49ers fans. Wow, that was pretty eerie. You sounded just like Santa in the old Rudolph special. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's not bad. It's not my worst impression. I will mm. say that. So, yeah, Merry Christmas to all of our 49ers fans listening out there, or Happy Boxing Day, or Kwanzaa, or whatever it is you celebrate all over the world. Happy holidays to you. We are certainly in a great mood uh, in the holiday spirit over here Indeed. as the 49ers win their eighth straight game. They move to 11-4. and four as they defeat the Washington Commanders 37-20. to So a very solid all-around team win. So we're going to do something a little bit different this week with the holidays and this podcast coming to you a little later than we usually get it out to you. We're going to do kind of an abbreviated game recap, and then we're going to talk about a lot of sort of big-picture 49ers issues and how it kind of interacts and intersects with some league issues as well with other teams around the league. Yep, exactly right. And we'll be back to our usual drive-by-drive analysis next week. But since we're getting to you a little bit late on this, we're just going to go big-picture with some stuff after a general breakdown of the game. So this is one coming in where Chase Young was making his debut for Washington. Kinlaw was coming back for us. A lot of intrigue. How would Brock Purdy do against a top D? defense and early on it was a bit of a slugfest neither team managed to score in the first quarter it was just kind of an ugly game where the front seven seemed to be having their way and the refs were kind of letting them play down the field you know quite a bit of contact uh, the second quarter the teams traded touchdowns Ray Ray <laughs> which I've been calling for this we signed him not just as a punt return but we were told he would be involved in the offense and he never gets the ball on screens or in the backfield only on slants and things like that but he takes it 71 yards untouched on a beautiful run, and I know there was a great story about this after the game. Yeah, Shanahan said specifically that he liked Ray Ray as a receiver, and he just hasn't really had much of an opportunity. When Debo and Ayuk are healthy, we've got Jawan Jennings, who basically wants to be referred to as third and Jawan, which is appropriate. So there haven't been a lot of four wide receiver sets for the 49ers, so Ray Ray just hasn't really had an opportunity as a receiver, but... On this run play, Kyle Shanahan was interviewed and he was asked about it and said something really funny. He said that when they were installing the play and he was talking about it, Debo was in the room and he said something to the effect of, well, you know, we've been running this play, but haven't had a lot of success with it so far this year. So now we've got the right guy in there. So hopefully this one's going to go for a score. So obviously he was joking. (laughs) But then he said it was hilarious trying to find Debo when it actually did go in for a touchdown. What are the odds? Just a perfectly blocked play where McCaffrey goes out as the lead blocker and Ray Ray hits the right hole at the right time and then turns on the Jets untouched. This is a cool moment, and I would like to see more of that from Ray Ray. Let's be honest. I know that we have a lot of mouths to feed in this offense, but last year we were dialing up shot plays to Travis Benjamin. If we can try deep shots to Travis Benjamin, we can certainly waste a play here or there running an end around with a punt return with the league's best punt returner. So yep. anyway, 49ers go up seven to nothing in the second quarter. Washington did manage to sneak in a touchdown with twenty two seconds left before halftime, though. Not Hufunga's best drive as he over pursued on a blitz and gave up a a big 
catch down the field and then seemed to have some confusion between um, himself and I think it was Lenore on whether it was man or zone or who had which Washington receiver uh, Jahan Dotson I believe there with the four-yard touchdown so they go in at the half seven to seven low scoring game um, from what we've seen the last few weeks Uh, the Niners have been ahead in the first half but uh, again just a a low scoring like you said a slugfest where the teams are really just trying to be physical trying to assert their dominance Um, so you wouldn't expect a 7-7 score at the half to end up the way it did certainly well the 49ers did in the third quarter what they've been doing exceptionally well under Brock Purdy which has come out almost the way they typically start games where it just seems like things are scripted and it's just bang 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 Um, it was a seven play 76 yard drive that ended in a 34-yard touchdown to Kittle, which, speaking of great stories, I don't know if you guys saw the press conferences after the game, but it was a a deep shot down the middle of the field, probably 45 to 50 air yards for Purdy, a really nice throw, but the closest person to George Kittle on that route was not a Washington defender. It was Ray Ray, who was running the post, and if again if you didn't see it or even if you did and but didn't hear the story the funny thing about that was it's unusual to see two 49ers players in that kind of proximity that far down the field and you thought oh was that a mistake did did one of the players you know run the wrong route yeah typically anytime you see two players that close together it is some kind of a miscommunication and it's weird to see especially it's it's common to see that on the sort of short to intermediate routes it's exceptionally rare to see that so far down the field where they're both running either verticals or you know sort of like a skinny post if you will from from Ray Ray so that was my first thought when I saw the ball in the air and I saw that there were two 49ers and knowing that someone's going to catch it my first thought wasn't yes 49ers touchdown it was what is happening right now like what happened there because if Kittle had not caught that Ray Ray absolutely would have yeah (laughs) walk-in essentially like a walk-in touchdown the easiest touchdown either one of them would have ever had in their career they both just burned Washington every way you can they were both wide open but it's just so strange to see that so the best part of this was after the game Kittle was just in rare form in the press conference he was maybe he'd already had some with eggnog (laughs) or something but he was asked about it and he said yeah you know I'm supposed to go across the middle on that it's a play that we put in on Wednesday and then on Thursday Kyle coached me on it and he said hey you know even if you you beat the guy and you've got open grass in front of you you need to keep going across the field don't go up the field even if there's space you know because you need to draw more defenders and draw them away from Ray Ray yeah and he said but that doesn't really that just didn't make a lot of sense to me not to catch a touchdown so you know I was like ah whatever and then you know we get in the game you know burn my guy open grass I just kept running and you know hey I got the touchdown and (laughs) if you're if you're George Kittle I guess you can get away with that (laughs) and the reporters were just laughing and they said well how did Ray Ray feel about he's like well you saw him he 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 talked to me right after he's like oh man George you stole my touchdown but you know, whatever. I've had like five called back due to penalties. I, I was owed one. So yeah, Ray Ray was so close to him. George said, I thought that was the defender trying to knock the ball out when he came up right behind him on his right shoulder. So yeah, I mean, kudos to both of them for uh, beating their guys so badly that they were both that wide open, but definitely a notable play worth talking about when you see two guys that far down the field running side by side it was a a weird one but you'll take the points no matter who catches it and Kittle wasn't done later in the third quarter he took a short pass 33 yards for a touchdown where great blocking downfield from Jennings and Kittle got up to I, I told you that he looked really fast to me on the play as we were watching and 
apparently he got up to 19 miles an hour. It was his fastest time this year. It was the fastest time for any tight end. It's so nice to see him finally get out in space. I think that the yak that's been missing from him isn't because he's not as strong or not as fast. It's because Jimmy has been getting him the ball within four feet of a tackler and his yak doesn't come right after he catches it. Usually it comes after he's gotten up ahead of steam and then he's just like a, a video game, you know, super Mario where guys just bounce off of him. So nice to see him get another one. Yeah. With his body type, obviously he's not nearly as shifty or slippery as a Debo Samuel guy, but once he actually gets up to speed and has some open field, he is strong enough to break your tackle. He's fast enough to make you take bad angles. Um, So again, He definitely can juke, but he's a tight end. He's not a running back wide receiver type that's going to put these jukes on you where he gets low to the ground. Just a a different body type. So, yeah, he definitely is one of those guys that really needs to get some space. So if you can hit him in stride on a play where he's actually running, he is going to run away from most linebackers and a lot of safeties too. Yep. Washington did hang around in this game. They got a touchdown to Terry McLaurin where Hufunga was pretty sticky in coverage, but didn't manage to to knock it away and he was called for illegal contact on the play anyway so likely would have been a, a touchdown you know in that drive regardless coming into the fourth quarter just as the third quarter was expiring and then into the start of the fourth quarter the 49ers did kick a field goal and then they kicked two more field goals a little bit of blame on McGlinchey for for those drives having to settle with field goals he had two false starts and he played well at times in this game with his run blocking and, and did decently in his in his pass blocking sets, but a couple really idiotic mental errors, especially it wasn't even a road game. We were at home. Kind of those are those are really painful when you're doing third and goal from outside the ten. That's really rough. Shanahan was definitely you could see him trying not to um, start spouting profanities after the second one too. McGlinchey was really mad at himself, which is fair enough because yeah, two drive killers in a row essentially forcing you to go to field goals. We mentioned the end score, of course, 37 to 20, but there were, I think, like three possessions in a row where the Niners had to settle for chip shot field goals. Obviously, points are good. Three points is better than zero points, but you definitely would like to see some better efficiency. So the 49ers are scoring a lot of points with Brock Purdy at quarterback and scoring points against playoff teams. So that's the good news. The bad news, if you will, is that the third down conversion rate is still pretty poor. Uh, the 49ers were only 4 of 11 on third downs in this game. That's something you would definitely like to see improve. Again, you can only complain so much about 37 points, but that is definitely an area of concern, um, especially as you start facing tougher and tougher competition in the playoffs. Uh, the commanders were 7 of 13. Um, which is much better on third down, but ultimately they weren't able to get it done with just those 20 points. I will say another positive trend that we've seen that makes this feel even better than the 2019 team was that team would always seem to build this lead and then just kind of leak. You know, the defense would would start to leak a little bit and the offense would go conservative. This year, what we're seeing is the defense is putting up a pretty complete game every time and the offense is just burying people in the fourth quarter and even with settling for those field goals well that was three field goal drives and then later a touchdown drive so if we're scoring 16 points in the fourth quarter we're going going to win you know 
pretty much every game unless it's the Chiefs, and then even that, it could be a toss-up. Yeah, we, we talked about that. Again, if you score 37 points, if you are any NFL team and you are scoring 37 points a week, you are going to have a very good record. If you have a defense like the 49ers do this year and you score 37 points, you are going to have an outstanding record. Yeah. So that's where 11-4 and four is. That is outstanding. And again... Can you even imagine? So we dropped an ugly game against Denver, which just seems impossible. We lost 10 to 11 against yep. Denver. We lost against the Bears. We lost against some really bad teams. So really, I mean, this could easily, easily be a 13 and two or a, a 14 and one team. Atlanta. Don't forget Atlanta. Ugh. I think you were I, trying. I tried. To, yeah, I repressed it mostly, but yeah. uh, the commanders did get a touchdown that brought it to 20 to 30. If they had gotten the two point conversion, it would have brought it to a one score game, you know, even with, with less than six minutes in the fourth quarter. So it wasn't a complete blowout, but that's where Nick Bosa had a sack on that two point conversion. It doesn't go down in the stat sheet as a sack. If it did, it would have been his third of the day. I think you could say that he all but locked up defensive player of the year. He's up to what, 17 and a half sacks this year. And just, he's been just not just a great pass rusher, but he is wrecking the run game. He's throwing tight ends into the backfield and just completely ending drives. And he's getting a lot of buzz too, which I think helps, you know, in the media for sure. Richard Sherman is his biggest cheerleader, I think. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, outstanding game from Bosa. As you said, two sacks would have been a third if you counted sacks on the two point conversions. But uh, great game from him. Great game from the really the whole D line. Hopping around a little bit, the touchdown that the Commanders did get in the fourth quarter was actually from Carson Wentz. He came in, Heineke was benched, which oddly we were told might happen. I think Jake Glazer reported earlier in the day that if Heineke struggled, that Wentz would be given an opportunity. So unusual for that to leak and then to see it happen. Maybe they knew that with the 49ers defense, you know, something bad would happen, but uh, I don't know why you would hold that against Heineke. It's like, well, you know that he's probably not going to have a great day. If you if you're wavering in your confidence in him that much, fine, just go ahead and start Wentz. But yeah, that was unusual. I mean, there was a, a sort of a rough sequence of events where Bosa on one of his sacks was a strip sack that kind of turned into like an interception. It was a fumble that went right into the arms. Of, was it Givens that recovered that one? Willis. Willis. So yeah. Um, just a, a great play there. And then um, he did come back and throw an interception. So that was, again, a bad series for him, a bad sort of chain. But he really didn't look bad in this game. He looked pretty good. He made some really impressive throws, some deep shots. He was hanging in there tough against the 49ers pressure, which is relentless. Um, so definitely a surprise to kind of see Wentz come in. To his credit, Wentz came in and did look really good. Um, there was another play where Bosa could have had a third asterisk fourth sack where Wentz was almost down. He had Wentz, and Wentz yeah. does one of these little Patrick Mahomes-style yeah, flipperoos where he just gets the ball out and somehow it's completed. But Wentz looked pretty good. It'll be really interesting to see what Riverboat Ron uh, decides to do as they try and make this final uh, push to make the playoffs. Heineke seems really popular. He's got that sort sure. of Jimmy G effect where the players around him really, really stand up for him and stick up for him, especially with the media. So Carson Wentz is the guy that's making all the money, but 
Heineke is the guy that it seems like the locker room is kind of behind. So it'll yep. be really interesting to see what they decide to do moving forward, who they decide to start, and how the players will respond. Washington was fortunate, too, in that several of the other teams in the NFC bracket lost. So if you missed this week entirely, you were being a good family man or a good family woman, and you were ignoring the NFL. You didn't technically miss any change in the standings in the NFC. It was interesting that the Eagles lost to the Cowboys, but gave them a fight with Carter Minshew. You know, the Vikings eked out another one-score game. But overall, the playoff standings remained the same. The big story for the 49ers in this game is once again, just it seems to be the big story every week. You can't avoid it. Brock Purdy, 15 of 22 for 234, a 10.6 yards per attempt average, two touchdowns and one interception. But even that was, you know, it hit Jennings, you know, in the hands in stride, but it was a little bit low and he basically threw it to a, yeah, that (laughs) was tipped it to a, a Washington player. A weird looking play for sure. And the sort of ironic thing is that Purdy has had probably two or three balls in the last few games that could have maybe even really should have been intercepted. Certainly the one to Quandre Diggs in, uh, against Seattle. Yep. That was one that just hit him right in the hands. A couple called back due to penalties. Yeah, so he's he's definitely had some throws that were ill-advised, really poor throws. Um, but this one, the one that actually counts on the stat sheet, was yep. not his fault yeah, at all. It was a really the, good throw. The law of averages comes back every time. Yep. So some other interesting tidbits from this game. McCaffrey only had 17 touches. Thank you, Kyle. Which we absolutely approve of. There's no reason with our playoff position largely set. You know, we're just debating on whether we're going to get the second or the third seed, depending on what happens with us and the Vikings. But there's no reason for him to be touching the ball 30 times in a game like this. Um, Ty Davis Price ended up getting his first significant action. He only had nine uh, carries for 30 yards. J.P. Mason was a bit of a question coming in with a hamstring, and then he thought he might have hurt his knee on the opening kickoff. Again, no reason for him to to burn out in this game. To push it, yeah. yeah. Good for Mason to get a little bit of action. Nice to see Jimmy Ward get another interception. And then there were no major injuries coming out of this game, which is a relief, especially for Kinlaw. Anytime he steps onto the field, you're worried he's going (laughs) to have a setback. And then Mooney Ward did have some nausea, um, potentially following up from his concussion last week or or the, the week before, but, you know, not significant enough that they're expecting to miss him. And even some news that Debo might return for the Raiders game next week. So nice to finally have, we're playing a lot of games on, real grass right now not turf we're going through a a string of several weeks without any major injuries and we will take that (laughs) absolutely and this will be interesting to see as well because Kyle Shanahan said they're not going to really rest their players we talked about that last week and I basically said that's pretty much what Kyle Shanahan is going to do because he just he's not one of those guys that's going to rest rest his players so The one thing he did say is that if you have any guys who are kind of on the bubble injury-wise, those guys who really truly are questionable uh, to play in a game, he said that if they had any of those guys, they would be much less likely to play if they didn't really truly need them. So that's where if it's me and Debo is questionable, I would really much rather have him healthy for a playoff run than come back too early against Oakland or excuse me, <laughs> Oakland, Las Vegas, the Raiders. Um, yeah. I would not want to see him rushed back when he's dealing with multiple injuries as well. Um, you know, the knee, the ankle is definitely don't want to see him rushed back early. So it'll be interesting to see if Shanahan actually kind of abides by his word or sure. to see, I guess, you know, if, if Debo does play, then I guess we have to assume that he has really made substantial um, health progress. Yep. 
that's going to do it as far as our recap of the Washington game. Did you have any other takeaways or anything anything worth mentioning? If not, we'll go ahead and get into our, our sort of new segment that we're doing just for this week. But uh, we're just going to go through some pros and cons of some big picture 49ers stuff. I'm going to throw it to you on a few topics, I'll let you give me your opinion, and then I'll, I'll provide a counterpoint. <laughs> we'll, we'll do an either or. But the first thing, there was a report that Jimmy Garoppolo is out of his walking boot and that the 49ers are hoping that he returns for the playoffs. Questions as to what does that mean? Are they hoping that he returns so that he can be the backup instead of Josh Johnson or so that he can start? Because right now we're kind of on a roll with Purdy. So in your opinion, if Jimmy G recovers well enough, who should start in the playoffs if, if he's available, him or Purdy? Well, I think it should absolutely be Purdy at this point. The team has a ton of momentum they're scoring a ton of points against higher caliber teams than we've been playing in the previous four weeks, like the final four weeks of Jimmy's tenure versus the first four weeks. Only three of those count as starts for Purdy, but really, I mean, he played almost the entire game against really the Dolphins, against yeah. the Dolphins. So that was really kind of like a fourth start, if you will. Jimmy went out on the first drive on that one. So I don't know how you could make an argument for Jimmy because of the injury history that he has and the fact that he has historically not been great in the playoffs. Shanahan has been really tight um, in his play calling when when it comes to playoff time, really conservative, really run-centric. It's been interesting to see that Shanahan has dialed up a higher pass rate, I think, this year than he has in years past, even with even with Garoppolo in there. So there's no reason to expect that that wouldn't continue into the playoffs. But that being said, how can you sit Purdy when he's putting up this many points, when he's picking up plays with his legs? Again, we talked about how he's kind of a really good hybrid of Lance and Garoppolo. Hmm. You don't see a bunch of dialed up run plays for Purdy, but he can pick up first downs with his legs where Jimmy really can't. I think the biggest thing, too, is that he can avoid the sacks. Sure. So when the pocket collapses or when Mike McGlinchey misses an assignment or, <laughs> you know, Burford maybe whiffs on something. Blocks the air. Yeah. So when that happens, he is able to really move around in the pocket. There was another really impressive play in the game um, that we didn't mention, and it doesn't show up on the stat sheet because it was ultimately just an incomplete pass. But there was a play where the defender had him dead to rights. Yep. He wheels out of the pocket, he runs, he does like a slow move, like a stutter step as he's just trying to run to the sideline. He spins around again so that he has enough body momentum so that he can throw the ball out of bounds across the line of scrimmage because if it doesn't get past the line, of course, it's intentional grounding even if you're out of the pocket. And he was probably 15 or 20 yards behind the line at that point. Yeah. So spectacular play there just to be an incomplete pass. Jimmy is sacked for 8 to 10 yards on that one for sure. Super smart there. If you say, well, why did he need to spin? Well, because the defender was closing on him and he's right-handed. And if he had yeah. attempted to get that ball up next to his head and throw it out. Could be a it, fumble. It could have been a fumble. It could have been knocked out. But to sort Could of, be an injury where you try and throw and you get yeah. your shoulder torn out of its socket when the defender blocks your arm movement. Yeah, so to fake forward, step back, spin and throw out of bounds was smart there. So the point of this segment is that I have to disagree with you and provide a counterpoint which is hard because I do generally, <laughs> I kind of agree that our mar our margin of victory has been better under Purdy against four or three consecutive playoff teams and Seattle in Seattle. We've been averaging a margin of victory of 17.25 points per game, whereas Jimmy was only averaging 16 points a game 
you know, margin of victory in his four wins. Which against, is still spectacular. Which is still spectacular, but against the Chargers and three scrub teams, non-playoff teams. But if I had to make a case for Jimmy reclaiming his job in the playoffs, it would be that even Geno Smith got off to a hot start this year. But once people saw the offense and saw his limitations, they adjusted. Purdy has thrown an interception in every game. This is just the first one where it counted. You know, he had Diggs just completely drop one. He had one called back for a penalty. And I do think that if Purdy... If they figure, if the defenses figure him out a little bit, and if those lucky dropped or negated by penalty interceptions turn into real interceptions, I think Shanahan would get frustrated, and that's where you could see potentially Jimmy get his job back. I, I would not, but I could see the argument for it. So, and the on the other side as well. So you've got the sort of inexperience of Purdy, and the moment hasn't been too big for him so far. But playoffs are a different animal. Certainly, if they're lucky enough to get to the Super Bowl. What must be going through this guy's mind? I mean, Brock Purdy, what is he, 23 years old? Yep, just turned uh, happy yeah, birthday, Brock Purdy. Yeah, happy birthday, just turned 23. So, um, you know, how long can he keep this up once the film comes out on him, once his tendencies are established? How long can you maintain this level of play? What he's doing is phenomenal. This is why it's such a huge story in the media every week, every day, even that Mr. Irrelevant is coming on and essentially lighting the league on fire. I mean, he's had a plus 115 quarterback rating in his first two starts, just under 115 in this last one because of the interception. Um, If that ball wasn't intercepted, he would have been over 115 again. That's phenomenal for any rookie quarterback, not just a Mr. Irrelevant. If he had been drafted in the third round, what he's doing to come in at middle of the season is phenomenal. Yep first round quarterback even i mean gosh look at some first round quarterbacks this year around the league um you know first round draft pick quarterbacks who sure. are really struggling yeah zach wilson just demoted to to third string he's going to be inactive on game days you know imagine <laughs> yeah just for for streveler so so they decided to go with streveler who actually moved the chains i mean they didn't score any points but yeah. he looked kind of like an arena league quarterback and zach wilson can't get a first down yep. so look at what purdy is doing compared to that it's, it's mind-blowing it is we're gonna hop around the league a little bit for my next question we're gonna debate we've been following the dolphins not just because we live here in southwest florida but also because we love mike mcdaniel and all the 49ers staff and players he took with him so we've been kind of following their season a little bit Tua, it was announced that he's back in the concussion protocol for the third time (laughs) this year and after the the play where he hit his head on the turf that was after that play that he suddenly threw three interceptions and just looked completely off there are calls on social media right now for the dolphins to shut him down if you were the dolphins would you shut Tua down or would you, you know, maybe give him a week off or keep playing? Playing? Yeah, I could go either way on this one. So I'll let you choose first, and then I'll I'll provide the counterpoint. I would not shut him down because, not that his sort of personal health and well being doesn't matter, but they are in playoff contention. I think if they were four or five games under five hundred, then it's not even a question. But. It's hard to know. It hasn't officially been declared, you know, a grade two or, or some kind of major concussion. It was just that he's in the protocol. So I think without more information, you're right in the thick of the playoff hunt. I think for him, he's going to want to, if doctors clear him, he is going to want to play because if he can't shake this label as this sort of frail, undersized quarterback who gets hurt all the time, then, you know, it is going to end his career, you know, as much as the next concussion could. So I understand that his health comes first blah 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 but 
I would maybe give him this week off if he's still dealing with symptoms, but I wouldn't just shut him down or put him on IR just because he happens to have had a few concussions. It's almost like taking a player out of a, a basketball game because they pick up their fourth foul or their fifth foul. It's it's like, well, at some point they have to keep playing the game. Anytime you put them back in, there's going to be a chance of risk. So, Yeah, I don't disagree with anything you've said, but I think the argument for shutting him down, um, <laughs> call it like a human rights issue, if you will, this guy has had the worst luck when it comes to concussions all season. And concussions, in case you've forgotten, they are brain injuries. Uh, your brain is pretty important, generally speaking. I mean, I know a lot of people don't use theirs, but um, it's, it is still important for motor functions like breathing and you know reminding you so you don't poop in your pants all the time. Um, this guy has a wounded brain, okay? Um, it's been really tough to see him kind of staggering off the field. You don't like to see that happen to anybody. So I know I'm kind of making jokes about it right now, but it really is serious. Um, player health and safety is important. Obviously, as a player in the NFL, you do have to be willing and, and understand that the amount of money that you are making to do this is kind of a trade-off for the risks to your long-term health and safety. Sure. It's a deal that most players are thrilled to make just for the love of the game or even if it's just financial they say you know if i only live until 60 but i'm a millionaire my whole life you know i'm totally cool with that yep. that's a a decision that every player has to make for themselves i think the argument to shut him down is that they are kind of fringy playoff yes they could make the playoffs yes they could go on a run but are they going to go on a run with teddy bridgewater and in the action that we've seen, that doesn't seem super likely. So I think the argument to shut him down, aside from just taking the high road and doing the right thing and saying, hey, this guy has been concussed way too many times in one year. This is the only um, direction that we have. And yes, that would hurt your football team from a football perspective. But who is going to get up there and say, oh, man, he's totally fine. You know, like you guys are being such jerks for taking his health and personal safety sure. into such high consideration. Who, Who yeah. is going to get up there and say that? Like, oh, you shouldn't care so much about player safety. They, a lot of people are probably thinking it, but you obviously... Dolphins fans. <laughs> no, I mean, even even media people, but you you can't say that. Yep. That's That's the quiet part you have to think in your head. So I think the argument to shut him down would be, you know, look... We weren't destined to make the playoffs. They're clinging this, to the final playoffs exactly. the AFC by by a single game. Even with Tua. So yeah. it's not like it's not like they are Super Bowl favorites at this point. They have been cold as ice. I know McDaniel was wearing a shirt saying, I wish it were colder. Um, and they have been ice cold. They've been streaky all year. They win a few in a row, they lose a few, they win a few. So that would be my argument to shut him down is look, you probably weren't going to the Super Bowl anyway. Nobody wants to lose games to improve your draft position, but if you do, it's not the end of the world. This is a solid roster that's not going anywhere. The long-term health of Tua is the most important thing they need to consider, and the other thing they need to consider is, is he healthy enough? Is he is he too injury-prone to be plan A as the starter next year? Yeah. We'll see. In the meantime, we wish him a speedy recovery elsewhere around the NFL, but potentially affecting the 49ers. The Broncos fired their head coach, Nathaniel Hackett, before the season had even begun. One of those rare times where a coach doesn't even make it through his first season. And a lot of people were saying that they think the only reason Denver hired him in the first place was because they thought that guaranteed them Aaron Rodgers, who then ended up staying in Green Bay. But 
D'Amico Ryan's name has been mentioned as someone that Denver is interested in bringing in for an interview. And I would like to know from you, <laughs> if you were D'Amico Ryan's, which job would you be more interested in, the Denver Broncos job or the Indianapolis Colts job? Presumably, they're not serious about hanging on to Jeff Saturday as their coach moving forward. It, it just is an interim sort of situation there. So if I had to guess, I would say that D'Amico Ryan's would be thrilled at the opportunity to coach Denver because their defense is already prolific. They have basically like the number two defense in any kind of defensive metric. They are really, really close to the 49ers in terms of an outstanding defense. So as a defensive-minded coach, to walk in to a defense that you can only make even better, and you've got Russell Wilson, I think for anybody walking into their first head coach experience or experience, you know, experiment if you will that that's a really ideal situation but for me if I was D'Amico Ryan's <laughs> I would actually go to the Colts um, Denver is in a pretty tough division for one thing yeah and also what if Russell Wilson is actually garbage we don't know that he is like all logic says that he should r- bounce back and rebound and have a much better year but what if he doesn't? What if he's really bad and you're stuck with a really bad quarterback situation with unbelievably high expectations? That's the thing. Denver had unbelievably high expectations with their defense and you bring in Russ. The Colts, on the other hand, I think are coming with basically no expectations. They've got this unholy dumpster fire of Matt Ryan versus whoever else they want to use. Ellinger, Nick Foles, Nick Foles whoever it might be. <laughs> and an interim head coach who's not a coach. So going in, they've got a pretty good defense. Obviously, there are pieces missing on offense and defense, but you go in with much, much lower expectations. That division is really winnable. Um, Jacksonville is definitely trending upwards. They're moving in the right direction, but it's not like you have any world beaters. The Titans, I mean, it's just not... It's not a good division, really low expectations. It's a nice location. Like it's a, it's a great place to play, um, great place to be. So if, if it was me, if I was D'Amico Ryans, I would go Indy, but I, I could certainly see why you'd make the case for Denver. Yeah. I think the division makes a huge difference there, not having to play Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert. But if I have to take a contrary position and sort of say why you would want to be in Denver. You know, Patrick Sertan is a great shutdown corner and we see what D'Amico has been able to do with Mooney Ward. So I think that makes a big difference. I also think as broken as Russell Wilson is, you know, there was some crazy stat out there that I don't, I forget exactly what it was, but it was something to the effect of if the Broncos were averaging 17 points a game, they'd have nine wins this year. So I have to believe that if you're D'Amico Ryan's as tough as that division is, you have to believe that you can get the pieces in place to, to score 17 points a game and, and that, that would make it a better situation for you. So it'll be interesting to see. He may not get an opportunity, but other teams that could be looking to make a change, you know, Houston might be one and done with Lovey Smith, although they seem to be playing hard for him, but I don't know how much they really want kind of a, an old-timer defensive coach with a rebuilding offense. You know, also Carolina, you know, they've been surging a little bit with an interim coach, but are they going to stick with Steve Wilkes? And then teams like New Orleans with Dennis Allen, who just went with a safe internal candidate that that really has bombed. We'll see if they end up changing it up. So, all right. So now we're going to get to a a controversial one. Where does Jimmy Garoppolo play next year? (laughs) 
I would like to know. <laughs> um, the Jets are in free fall. They're trying to audition Mike White to see if he can be the guy. Zach Wilson, essentially, they they have all but publicly admitted that they have given up on him. The Dolphins with Tua, you know, we don't know what's going to happen there. With the Patriots, Mac Jones has not taken the next step forward. They're hovering around 500, and he's he's not well-liked in the NFL right now. He was fined for a, a dirty sort of slide where it was like he was trying to take out a player's knees. You know, the Colts are going to be looking for a change again with Matt Ryan falling off a cliff if they can get out of that contract or if Matt Ryan retires. Other teams like Saints and Panthers unsettled at quarterback or do we bring him back? Where does Jimmy Garoppolo play quarterback next year? So I don't know where Jimmy plays quarterback next year, but I think the least likely team that he plays for is the 49ers. Sure. It's been unbelievably wild last offseason, the way that that all happened. We've covered that extensively. Um, just really crazy what happened. I don't think they're going to go through this quarterback carousel again um, a third time. And the biggest reason is because Kyle Shanahan does not carry three quarterbacks. And we know now that Brock Purdy is a quarterback. He is. He's yep. a quarterback. Um, what he's able to do long-term, that remains to be seen. But he is a quarterback. And Trey Lance, whether he is a quarterback or not, is still yet to be determined. But they obviously believe that he is based on the enormous amount of draft capital that they surrendered to get him. So with Brock Purdy and Trey Lance healthy, I don't think there's any way you can justify keeping Jimmy on the team at this point. Again, it was a really kind of a bad luck injury, but he's a guy that is injury prone. In terms of where he goes, I'm sure the Jets would be interested, but the injury history, that's the thing. It has to be such a concern for for any team that is really going for it. I don't think Jimmy is going to be their guy. I think Jimmy is like the ultimate best of the best placeholder quarterback you can get yeah. for a team that's good enough that they want to get some butts in the seats but you know not necessarily making a, a championship push but they're not in full tank mode or fire sale mode either so certainly teams like Carolina like the Jets that are like just okay you know you could see him going there um, I don't know do you have a specific place in mind well you've, you've done some hedging give give me a you know you had to bet money on it who are you taking I would really like to see New England. I would love to see some quarterback drama for somebody else. Yeah. If Mac Jones and Jimmy G turns into a quarterback soap opera, that would make me really happy. Obviously, nothing but the best for Jimmy. We appreciate what he's done, really turned this franchise around. Um, obviously, I would love for him to go somewhere and to succeed. I just don't know if his body is going to let him do that. Yeah, I think he's going to go to the Jets because I think that's a job saver for Robert Sala. They cannot afford to draft it would be one thing if they had been doing what the Colts have been doing and replacing veterans every year and trying it with Matt Ryan or then the year before trying it with Phillip Rivers. The Jets have just recently drafted a quarterback with a second overall pick. There's no way they pick a quarterback no, high again. You can't do that. Because what if they blow it? So I think the Jets is where he's going to end up, and hopefully that saves Robert Sala's job. But I agree that by far the most interesting would be New England, you know, because <laughs> – he may find that once again, it's hard for him to lock down a starting gig because he had another year in which he got hurt. So if he's going to go somewhere to either compete for a job or be the fallback option, 
I think Bill Belichick would love to have him back in the fold. And then if Mac Jones loses the locker room or gets a DUI or. <laughs> yeah. And the problem is, again, it's not just that he's getting hurt. If you miss four weeks in the middle of the year from a high ankle sprain, that's no big deal. The problem with Jimmy is he ends the year with yes. a season ending injury. And those are really scary. As a GM, as a head coach, when you're looking to build a team around a guy who cannot finish a season, that is is definitely a, a scary proposition. All right, I've got just one more kind of fun, sort of slightly off-topic one for you, but we just saw that not only is Deion Sanders going to be the coach of Colorado, but Ed Reed today was named a, uh, a, a college head coach. So if you had to guess which current 49ers player is most likely to someday be a head coach, whether at the college or the pro level, who would you say would be the most likely 49ers player right now to end up being a head coach? Well, that's a tough one because they would have to be interested in coaching and I have no right? idea. So not George Kittle. <laughs> well, you never know. Um, it's huh, That's tough. <laughs> I would say maybe Juszczyk would be a really good choice. Okay. Um, you know, comes from an Ivy League school. He's great in all of his press conferences, says all the right things. He really has that sort of positive, upbeat, um, matter of fact demeanor. He's really great in all of his interviews. He doesn't just give you all the cliche. He does hit the talking points for sure, but he adds to those. He supplements those. So he's really great with the media. You know that he knows his X's and O's. He is a an offensive weapon. But he's not one of those offensive divas that get no respect from a locker room. I think he certainly could command a locker room. And he's got that sort of positive, upbeat vibe that kind of reminds me of Sala. So I would say Yushek would definitely be somebody that, if he wants it, could certainly get into coaching. Um, another guy that, that would be like a legend that would get the, all the respect would be Trent Williams. I don't know if that's something that he's interested in. But, um, you know, he is a technician. Um brilliant guy brilliant football iq and is respected anywhere he goes not just because of his size and he is bigger than most actual silverbacks um but i would say he could certainly um i could definitely see him leading a team so did you ever see that espn commercial where it's i think it was like adam vinatieri is putting together his fantasy team and it's all kickers <laughs> i'm just picturing kyle Juszczyk interviewing for a head coaching job i mean like we're going to do three fullback sets it's <laughs> going to change the league fullback palooza <laughs> uh those are those are good suggestions for me i think fred warner is an obvious one yeah. he's great at the podium gives great answers he gives me solid vibes where he's an energetic player he's also a bit of an antagonist he's feisty he calls out people in practice so I think he would be a great motivator. Definitely knows his X's and O's too as the captain of the defense. So so I think he would be He seems so business like too. I could even see him going a step further. I could see him as like a GM type yeah, of guy. That's interesting. Where um John Lynch obviously was like a very similar player, like a that really high motor, high hitter. Um, I, I could definitely see him I, I kind of see him more as like a John Lynch even than than a, just a head coach, but the sky is going to be the limit for him, whatever he wants to do after his playing career. I think that's a good one. I'll give you one sort of sleeper that I think very possibly could be a head coach someday. And that's actually Christian McCaffrey. We don't see that from a lot of running backs, but Anthony Lynn currently on our team on the coaching staff, I'm sure would be able to talk to him about that. If that's something he's interested in long-term, but McCaffrey's a bright guy. He went to Stanford. He had our playbook memorized in two days. He's a football junkie, you know, comes from a football family with his dad playing in the NFL for years and years. So I actually think he would be someone who would be very interested one day in becoming a head coach. So you mentioned Kittle and I'm, <laughs> he's going to be doing WWE or like, what are you talking about? 
I don't know. I, what I do know is that he loves the game of football. I know that he loves playing football. Sure. What I can't say is that if bringing, if coaching would bring him any kind of that sort of level of joy or satisfaction, if, if he would get that from coaching, if he is a coach, I see him as more of like a Chris Kasurik type, like our defensive line coach is an animal just a hype monster, super high intensity guy. I could definitely see him being like a position coach if that's what he wants to do. I think if he could tone it down a little bit, he would be <laughs> a hoot in the broadcast booth as well. Oh. So I I don't see him doing a ton of other stuff. I mean, he loves he loves the game of football. He could so start like a tight end academy, like instead of doing like a weekend retreat for current players i could see him maybe you know I, I don't know that he's quite the student of the game that that the others are that he loves it that much but I, I could see him wanting to do something like that instead of just jumping into the broadcast booth wanting to do something to help future tight ends but yeah well it'll be interesting to see uh, certainly a lot of really intellectual um, high character guys on this team which has been a priority kind of moving away from the more talented but troubled players there hasn't been much of that in the last few years it seems like Shanahan and Lynch have really prioritized getting a harmonious locker room and it's it's great to see obviously it's a lot of fun when you're winning games yep but ultimately this is a team that really loves playing together they really love each other and you can see that it's this is truly a united team win or lose give a ton of credit to John Lynch and Adam Peters some people talking about Lynch as a potential executive of the year Um, as great as Kyle Shanahan has been this what people talk about the most when the 49ers come up is the roster, you know? So it's, yeah, it's so deep. Um, how many teams can suffer the kind of injuries we have and still be here? So 11 and four is a really good record. And the fact that we are 11 and four and starting Trey Lance and starting Jimmy Garoppolo and starting this guy named Brock Purdy, who literally nobody has ever heard of. It's unbelievable that we are sitting here at 11 and four, just with the amount of adversity that we've seen in the quarterback room, let alone all of the other injuries that we've had all year, just playing so banged up. It's, it's wild. Yep. Well, either way, we're going to be here to break down the rest of the season for you. A new year's day game coming up against the Raiders. And we'll be back next week with our regular format going play by play and drive by drive. But hope you enjoyed a little bit of a more of a coffee talk uh, back and forth as we caught up on some of these Niners issues. So that's going to do it for us this week. If you enjoyed our podcast, please be sure to rate and subscribe on Apple podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or anywhere you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter for more 49ers content. We will see you next week. We are the Niners bros.